0: What's good, fam? It's your man, Norm, here. Are you following us on social media yet? If not, you may find us on all of the major social platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. Find us at newNuma. That's P-N-E-U, P-N-E-U-M-A. From there, you may find myself and Justin and follow our personal accounts also. As you know, feedback helps everyone grow and we need your feedback. If you wanna join our team, have suggestions on how we may improve if you want to be interviewed by us or if you have someone you would like for us to interview please email us at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com And last but not least, if you would like to see our podcast grow to that next level, you may also give financially to the cause whenever you feel like it by going to our anchor.fm page, clicking on the button that says support this podcast. We will greatly appreciate you sewing into the vision to help us spread the good news about the truth of God's kingdom worldwide. Thanks for your support and keep it locked right here.
1: after I get saved and everything's going fantastic and on fire for God, you know, the ministry is doing good. Everything is going good. I ended up meeting a neighbor. We fell in love. We got married and then he ended up having some um, psychological things and became very mean and very cruel. And again, my looks were attacked on a daily basis and, Had even, you know, would tell me that people just tell me that I'm pretty and that I've got a great smile and come up to me all the time because they feel so sorry for me. And um, I remember thinking, okay, God, now I'm confused because I don't drink, I don't party, I'm sober, I'm the most loyal person in the world, I'm doing everything I can, and I'm still finding myself in this situation. What the heck? And um, I had a lady that I know... That I I, Anyway, we had been married, and I saw her, and she's like, Oh, Barbara, I wish Charles C., your spiritual mom, was here to see that you're so happy. And finally, somebody's loving you. You spend all your time loving them, and I just started crying. (laughs) She's like, What's wrong? And I'm like, Well, it's not exactly like that. And she tells me, I want you to meet this lady. And um, I can't remember her name right now, so we'll just call her Jessica, okay? Okay. And um, she says, You need to meet her. And I said, Okay. And she gives me her number. Of course, I don't call her. No, it was Rebecca. Okay, I got the name. Okay, it's Rebecca. So, of course, I don't call her. And this is in Houston. And six months later, in October, I go with some other friends to another state to do this missionary um, sermon. We go and everybody prays and worships God, and then we go out and do street ministry. So, I go with her to the Oklahoma. and I think it was Oklahoma. Anyway, we go there, and during the service, I'm just feeling, you know, just the spirit of God is real strong, and I go outside, and I'm crying, and this lady comes up, and she's like, can I hug you? (laughs) I looked at her, and I said, no. (laughs) 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 Don't touch me, stranger. (laughs) No, I didn't. I did. I said no, and she's like, what is wrong, honey? And I said, you know what? In my mind, I thought, I am in a different state. I don't know anyone here. I can just be totally honest. And so I just opened up and told her everything that was happening to me and being done to me and all of that. And she looked at me, she goes, you know, I have a good friend in Houston named Catherine. And I looked at her and I said, Catherine and Greg. And she said, yes. I said, are you Rebecca?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and it was Rebecca. And so I was like, okay, God, you are awesome. Here they are in Houston telling me you have to meet my friend, Rebecca. I ignore that. I six months later, go to Oklahoma. And there she is, the one who's sitting with me outside of a church in a random city in a random state. And her testimony was that she was on fire for God. She was doing everything right. She met this man. They never even kissed. Okay. Until they got married. And after they got married, he switched personalities on her and it got very bad and it got very dangerous. And I truly believe that God allowed me or had me set it up for me to meet her to let me see that sometimes it's not really your fault. You know, take responsibility for what you've done, but don't take all of it. Here, this woman did everything perfect. I mean, I've never been that perfect. And the same thing still happened to her. Does that make sense?
2: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that same type of thing, so I know what that's like. Um, Wow. So... This segues us into something that um, kind of sparked us saying we need to do this interview. Um, when we talked, you, you had a post on Facebook. And,
1: <laughs>
2: and that post was very um, interesting because you were basically trying to um, see if men would, you know, basically be like uh, men should be. And uh, and I'm just going to read how you put it on Facebook. Okay. You said, can we bring back men taking women on real dates, opening the car door for them, and bringing flowers for no reason? Now, I'm sure that there's something that probably actually happened that sparked that. Um, what is it that... What what has it been like? Because I realized, I mean, you've gone through several situations that were, they didn't turn out to be what you had hoped they would be. You had every intention of them being wonderful uh, situations, uh, marriages, um, and so forth, but they didn't turn out that way. And then, obviously, that threw you back into the, the world of being single and all, (laughs) all, all that that entails, you know? So, I mean, I mean, I've been there, so I understand how that could be. And, um, but I guess coming from a woman's perspective, um, I definitely wanted to hear what is it that, what is it that you have taken note of, or, uh, maybe you've been just experiencing yourself, that has caused you to even have that conversation?
1: Okay, well, I, I do have to say that that original quote was not mine. I didn't okay. share it because I took it to heart. Um, I think a lot, there are, there. first of all, I have to say, there are some fantastic men out there and there are some really just wonderful gentlemen. Um, and then at the other side, there's just, I think the roles of men and women have gotten so distorted and I know it's not a popular belief, but mm-hmm. the, the whole women's movement, I think, is more of a let's take the men movement. Yeah. And I can't stand it. We are emasculating men. And mm-hmm. God made men manly for a reason. Yeah. And that is to protect and to provide. And we're supposed to be the helper. And somehow that has gotten turned around to be a negative thing, like when you're saying being a nerd in school, even though it's a really good thing to be really smart and succeeding in everything you're doing, people look at it as being bad. Well, same thing with being a helpmate. I mean, personally, I don't believe that there's any job that's more important or valuable than being a mom and and a wife. because then you're taking care of the man who God gave dominion to. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: And so I think that we as a society have been emasculating men to where a lot of men don't even really know what to do. I mean, sometimes when I'm walking at a gas station, I've seen people like guys literally take off running to go and open the door for me. And I'm just like, thank you so much. That was so sweet. Like they really had to make a huge effort. I mean, literally run. Okay. And, yet I also hear from a lot of men that they get yelled at or they get um, told that they can open the door themselves when they do that for women. So I think a lot of times men don't know what to do because treating a woman like a lady is seen as thinking that they're less than. And, you know, the Bible does say we're the weaker vessel. Again, that's not a bad thing. We're all just made differently. Yeah. And um, I think with the new hookup attitude, with, um, with dating is definitely very different. Um, there's not a whole lot of courting going on um, or is it opening the doors or just being gentlemen. And I do think a lot of it is lack of having men to teach them. Like with our camp, that's part of what we do. And we try to get couples because, like, I asked a group of boys, 66 boys one time, how many of y'all have seen a man treat a woman with respect? Three of these boys that are teens raised their hands. That means all of these other kids have never seen a man and woman interact respectfully. <laughs> and so at our tables, we'll have husband and wife team or, um, you know, couples stuff like that. So they can see how the man talks to the girl, how he pulls her chair out, how he lets her go first. We always have the ladies go first, you know, doing things like that. So I think that it's really lack of knowing and then also, there are so many people that don't value it, so they don't have to do anything anymore. Whereas before, a man had to had to go through some stuff to get a woman. Now he's got to do is say hi, and boom, he got her.
2: Wow. So you know, this makes me think. This makes me think that um, there are different types of cultures in different part of the United States because here, um, where I live it's a little different, um, somewhat in the sense of like, I know that with the whole opening the door for someone, I have done that. And, um, I've also heard that, oh no, I can open the door. Thank you. Or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. or. Um,
1: oh, it's here too.
2: Yeah. But at the same time though, I have had women that would say thank you <laughs> and open up the door for them. And they weren't like, you know, um, looking at it as some kind of strange thing. But here's another thing I've seen where I'll open the door and then the woman says nothing. So what I've done is said, I'll say, oh, you're welcome. You know, I'll do it just like that to make them realize or they just walk by, didn't even say thank you, you know, because
1: they're that's something,
2: yeah, it's like, um, you don't, just because, I do it doesn't mean that you shouldn't say thank you. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, that's just automatic and you should just be expecting everybody to do that for you. Um, and at the same time, it's like, I heard, I heard a comedian once say, he said, uh, these women that are on this whole equal thing, that being equal to men in the sense of I can do whatever a man can do. He was like, well, that's fine because when the burglar comes in at night or we hear noise at night and we don't know what it is, I'll let you go check on that. I'll be waiting <laughs> for you when you get back, <laughs> you know, like, um, hey, yeah,
1: And see, <laughs> I'm, I I, do have a gun in my I mean, I do carry and I do shoot, yeah. but I want to be the girl. I would like nothing more than the husband to go and check and see what's going on. I don't want to go check.
2: Exactly. But that's the whole, the whole point that he was making yep. is that this is going so far. With exactly. the society that mm-hmm. it's like they are almost like trying to change roles, but then it's at yeah. the same time, when it becomes convenient, then they right. want you to take on the role that you should be as a man, you know, like right. with the provision of things, with the protection, stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be doing that, you know, um, right. and you made me think of something. Uh, when you were talking about the men opening the doors, I know that you said that wasn't your original post, but the point is that um, there was a movie, you may or may not have seen it, The Bronx Bronx Tale, you ever see that Uh movie? Okay, well, if you get a chance, watch that movie at some point, but that's a movie with Robert De Niro, and I think it was was either, um, it was this kid that, played his son that well, I think it was either on the Sopranos at some point or whatever. But anyway, um, he actually taught on the in the movie. He tells the kid, he says, son, if you go on a date with a girl, if you open the door for her, you, you, first of all, you open the door for her, let her in. When, by the time you come to your side, if she has unlocked the door for you, then you need to keep her. <laughs> He said, but if she doesn't unlock the door, then don't ever go out on a date with her again. And that was a key thing that I actually I mean, I don't remember exactly how old I was when that movie came yeah. out, but I I'm pretty sure it came out in the nineties. But it still affected me and made oh, an yeah. impact on me to think about that, you know, that it's like a reciprocation of the 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 chivalry slash respect slash just I don't know, just being nice I guess you could say um, you know it's kind of like she she would see it as you did this for me and I definitely want to do this for you you know what I'm saying like to, I don't know how else to put it but that was just something that stood out in my mind as I was listening to you say that
1: so you um, know, in that on that one I want to say this because I've heard that too and I've heard different sides That well now that we have the remote controls nobody has to lean over because they're already opening the doors. Um, But I guess, how would you say it? The, The gist of the story of what you're saying, I agree with totally because it's about being the helper again, about being the helpmate. And, you know, if you're, you're, when they're doing things that you're, they're supposed to, you're supposed to encourage them and be thankful and be appreciative. And, you know, that's, for me, this is common decency and normalcy, mm-hmm. but also as the woman and the man role goes, um, but another side on the opening the door, I had a man tell me this one time and I was like, Oh, because I always wear dresses and had opened the door. And then I reached over and opened the door for, or unlocked the door for him. And that's back before we had the little clickers. Right. Yeah. And he had told me that, that defeated the purpose because he was trying to treat me like a lady and me running or uh, reaching over and messing up my dress and doing all of that to open the door, took away from him taking care of me. And I was like, ah, now I'm confused.
2: Yeah.
1: And it was because it was the part of the man taking care of putting you in, making sure you're in, you're safe, you're this and that. But once you reached over and did all of that, then you're kinda of putting yourself back in his role. So I don't know. Um, I just I thought that was interesting when he told me that. I was like, Okay, so hmm. I think he's just
2: I think he's just taking it a little overboard with that one. That was just kinda like, Oh, I got wrinkles in my dress, like you're not gonna get wrinkles yeah. any other way.
1: Right. Well, and it was a, it was a big vehicle, so reaching over to open the door was a big stretch. Oh, okay. Like, all
2: right. yeah, I'm click
1: this. I mean, it was it was worse. So I basically had to climb over to his seat. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. Wow. So he's
1: probably like, you know. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> if you're gonna do all that, and you could have just opened your own door. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: I'll show you on that one. So.
1: But yeah, being thankful and flowers is something, you know, and I guess with that post, a lot of what I see too is I have so many friends that are married and it seems unfortunately like a lot of the men have quit courting their wives once they become their wives. And so many of my women friends can honestly say they can't tell me when the last time they just got flowers for no reason. And they they literally cannot remember. And I just think that stuff like that is just small gestures that really lets the woman know, Hey, I was thinking about you. You know what? You were beautiful. These flowers are beautiful. So when I saw them, I thought of you here. And chances are, if men are doing that more for the women, the women are going to be more apt to be wanting to do things for them in return.
2: Yeah. So I got a question because, um, this is something I've heard other guys say okay. coming from, you know, another perspective of why, no flowers. Um, a lot of guys who I've spoken to about that say, you know, flowers in essence are a waste of money because they die within a days of you giving it to the person. And then it's like, I spent all that money for them to die a couple of days later. And, right. and so that being the case, I mean, wouldn't there be something else that could be substituted for that?
1: Oh, yeah, it could be something like before I um, quit my chocolate and bring me home a chocolate bar and you are in. <laughs> <laughs> Hot food Sunday. But flowers, and you know I I'm I don't like just picking flowers just to pick flowers. You know, I'm one of those people, you know, if you really love flowers, you want to see them just blooming and growing where they are and all of that. But at the same time, there's some things about seeing the man that you love with beautiful flowers to give you, even if it only lasts a day. Even if it's only two days, and I'm not saying all the time, but every once in a while, that just really makes you feel special. Yeah. Or at least it does me.
2: Well, I'll put it like this. That is a good tip for all the men out here listening, you know, to think about that, having it in the back of their mind. Um,
1: now, so, Or one single rose, and it doesn't have to be an expensive, elaborate bouquet you know mm-hmm. it could be a simple flower but it's the fact that you see something that's beautiful that reminds you of the beauty of the person that you love and it's it's really just letting them know that you were thinking about them
2: yeah so you know i had um someone that i you know considered a friend um said to me one time that uh because i went through a divorce that i couldn't tell him anything about relationships or I couldn't tell him about, you know, finding someone, the right kind of person to marry. And I thought that was really funny because I was like, well, what's funny about that is me having gone through that situation, I know what not to do. Right. And and also, um, I can give wisdom to other people on what kind of things to look for or look at because of what I experienced. So, I felt like that was a very ignorant comment that he made about that. Um, but
1: It is, but it's not uncommon. And, you know, like you, I learned a lot from the mistakes and the things that... To be very truthful, most of the things that I learn about good marriages are from my friends that I love truly, that have been married for a very long, very long, very, I'm talking full sentence, that have been married for a very long time, mm-hmm. and I watch them, and I learn from them, and I see what they're doing, and I realize the ones that are doing that are the ones that are happy.
2: So tell me some things that you've noticed that you feel like are ingredients to those
1: happy marriages. Um, The ones that I've seen that are the absolute happiest are the ones that totally accept the other person for who they are and they don't try to change them, period. Um, That they actually compliment and embrace who they are, you know, um, somehow, and I think it's the whole gender reversal switching up that's caused problems nowadays, but now you tend to see couples that start getting jealous of each other Mm -hmm. instead of being proud of each other. And, You know, to me, there is nothing that I like better than hearing a woman rave about her husband and talk about how wonderful he is or about him doing that to her. And um, the couples that I see that are very strong are the ones that do that. They, you will never hear an ill word coming out of their mouth about their spouse. It's always going to be uplifting, encouraging, and they're their biggest fan. I mean, literally their biggest fan. And, you know, to me, it's like we live in a really difficult world at times that can be very cruel. How awesome to know that when you get home, that you are completely safe to be who you are and you don't have to worry about anything because that person loves everything about you.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I would say being the biggest fan and the ones that truly love Christ and understand, like, um, I mean, here's an example. When I was married and I was a Christian and all of that, and this was very hurtful and this person doesn't know what I know But basically, one day, a person had sent a message to my ex while we were still married and had said, you know, what does Barbara think she's doing? You're not anywhere on her page, blah, 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 blah. And he wrote back and said, we're having some problems right now. And this man, who has known me for 10 years, wrote him back and said, "Um, who does she think she is? What if Jesus were to treat her the way that she's treating you and went off? And at that time, thankfully, my husband was in his right state of mind and wrote back and said, actually, she on, oh, Mr. Carnes. Uh, she honors me and loves me every day. And no matter how mean I am, no matter how much I cuss at her, no matter what she treats me like gold, she gets up at four o'clock in the morning. She warms my towels. She makes my breakfasts. She has my water. She gives me back massages. No matter what I do, she is still so good to me and loves and honors me. And then I put my hands on her and she had to leave because he attacked me. And, um, And when he attacked me, it was a really bizarre thing, but it was slamming me against the wall, yelling, you're not effing holy. And that man's response back to him was, oh, I thought maybe there was something else to it. And what the Lord showed me was, one, to realize that people are going to assume things, okay? People are going to just think the worst, whatever, so be prepared. But my heart was like, if you know me this long and you know how much I love God, then you should know that I'm not going to treat anyone, especially my husband, anything better, anything less than the best. I'm going to be so good to him because I'm accountable to God. And that to me was was, was what was confusing is how could you even think that I did anything to him, you know? And so the partners that I see that both actually submit to God, both of them, then they're beautiful because the man, like my pastor says, more comes out of a man's hide than a woman when God came looking, he was looking for Adam. He is the covering. And women, uh, this was from Beth Moore, I think. When you submit, that means to tuck under. So you are actually protected under your husband by submitting. So if you have the man who's willing to lay down his life for Christ, for, for you, like Christ did for the church, and the woman is helping him and encouraging him and loving him, then how can anything go wrong?
2: Hmm. Yeah. I agree. But it
1: has to be both people doing that.
2: hmm Wow. That's some good stuff right there. Now, now earlier today, you um, posted something that I really, maybe it was, I think it was today, or maybe it was yesterday, but it was something about you praying for someone, and um, someone said something to you negatively about it. And I was really shocked of someone saying something negative about a person praying for someone else. Can you go uh, talk about that a little bit?
1: Um, that's something that actually happens quite often <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> in different situations. Um, and it's something that comes up, and I've written stuff about it before, and I'm sure I'll do it again because it just, it just infuriates me. But, I mean, I can give you an example. I've even been told by people that, I am not following the Bible by being wise, by putting myself in dangerous areas. (laughs) 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 But I shouldn't be going over to these dangerous apartments and these things and all that. And I'm always like, what Bible are you reading? Like Jesus did not say, go where everybody welcomes you and it's it's rich and it's safe and it's fun and all of that. And, you know, I've had this one man who's a really great speaker after he got saved. I was sharing his um, message with some, some gentlemen at a meeting one time and they were enthralled. I mean, soaking up every second of it. And then they saw the picture and he had long hair, the look of disgust and their attitude changed so drastically. They would not hear another word he had to say because of the way he looked and, um, it just, it floored me. And I see a lot of that in the church. It's like, okay, well, this guy either has tattoos all over him or he's too clean cut. Or this guy, you know, it seems like nowadays we almost have more mercy for the guys just coming out of prison than we do for just normal, everyday people giving their lives to Christ. Hmm. And I don't, I don't know what to say about that other than you can't be in the presence of God and have a problem with praying with anyone ever. I mean, I, I don't think it's possible. And all those people, and I put that in the post too, all these people that you think are lost are actually probably closer to to Christ than you are. And, you know, um, and on the marriage thing, that can apply to that too. And I, I hate like bashing Christians because I am a Christian, but sometimes I think that people white knuckle their walk with God and they they're not really living in freedom. And so... They, they're not really who they say they are or who they want to be. And a lot of these people, like I can't tell you how many marriages I know of where they did everything the right way or they thought they did and then find out one's been having an affair for two years, one's been addicted to pornography, one's been doing this and that. And yet I know atheists and agnostic people that would never cheat on their wives, that don't do any of those things. And I think that it's coming to just being able to be real. And if you're real about where you are, and how much you need Christ, and how much you need that forgiveness, and how much you really mess up. I mean, I'm the first to admit I've messed up so much, and I still do. So I'm going to be the first to give grace and mercy to other people. But if you can't do that, then you become judgmental. And like I heard a pastor one time say, if you have, um, without the ark, you will become a Pharisee. So if you know the word of God, but you don't have his presence, then you become a Pharisee because it's all about rules and regulations and you're not even following them yourself. So you're already feeling guilty about all the stuff you're doing. You're going to push that off on other people. Does that make sense?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I agree completely. That is something that, um, you know, I, I find it to be very sad that we would even have to have that kind of a conversation, um, about the way that people look at you praying for someone or giving grace to someone or whatever the case may be, um, especially if they were to consider themselves. Um, because we all have some things that we need to be working on, no matter what level we're on in mm-hmm. God. So um so you know I, I I definitely wanna go back to talking about um your ministry. Um, so how long has Back to Basics been in, um, been in existence?
1: Um, I'm so bad with numbers, but I believe it's like right about 15 years, 14 oh, or 15 Oh, wow. Years.
2: So is yeah. this like a fully, like like you're doing that full time? Oh,
1: yes. Yeah, yeah oh, okay.
2: 24-7. So how did you get it to that point?
1: Um, Honestly, it was just during what I was doing and God telling me what to do and just doing it. I told you about Lawrence, the homeless man, the kids in the neighborhood. At the, the point with the kids in the neighborhood, I was just putting them all in my car and taking them to church. I wasn't even paying attention to those things called seatbelts and rules and laws. All I knew is I was supposed to get these kids to church. Now, of course, we do seatbelts and all that stuff. Um, just really learning the word, getting the word, um, sharing with other people, going to different facilities. Um, just started growing that way. And like with the boys dinner, you know, God's showing me, hey, these boys are starving for some male affirmation. And I believe that a lot of men don't volunteer and or work with kids or do stuff because they don't understand how powerful they are. I think society has drummed down men so badly and emasculated them to the point to where, you know, I'm, you know looking at married with children is a perfect example of when I think it started getting really bad was, you know, like Al Bundy, if you know who he was. Yeah, no, know, I know. He, he lives in his football days. He's an idiot. The kids make fun of him. The wife makes fun of him. Everybody mm-hmm. was down on him. Well, I and that's why I believe that men realized how powerful they were and what a big and enormous difference that they would make in other people's lives, that they would be doing more, that they had been convinced that they're not and that their only job is to take care of themselves, their wives, and their kids. And so that's why I don't think that we see as many men, you know, reaching out. And once you can get out there and you can see, wow, I really impacted that kid, or that kid really was hanging on every word I said or is learning something, now he can change his tire. I mean, I remember for me one time when I taught this, you know, kid who was a gangster how to read and tell time, and I'll never forget, Miss Bobber. When I get out in that free, I'm going to get a real watch.
2: Because <laughs>
1: he was so excited that he could tell time. Well, wow. you know, and I think that the more that men experience that, the more that they would want to do that, because we desperately need men. And somehow, some way, it appears that church is for women and children. And on that note, I'll be the first to say that I think church services are geared around women and children. They're not really geared around men. And so we can, need some... Can
2: you, can you go into more detail about how that looks? What do you mean? Meaning, like you said, you think it's geared more towards women and children. So how does that play out in a service, For you, in your opinion? How does that look?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know that answer exactly. I do know there's a church here in San Antonio that I went to, and I've never seen so many men praising God at the same time. I was floored. I mean, literally floored. Um, I guess it wasn't so girly and frilly. And um, I mean, the men were walking around. They're laughing. They got up and sang. They were singing good music, you know, soul music. It wasn't the high. Woo! Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know how to put it. It just seems, uh, and it see it sounds so bad. But sometimes I'm going to church. It looks like people are going to Jurassic Park or a carnival or something. They're all riding on their little golf carts, and they're dressed up to a tee, and then they go in, and then they say hi to everybody, and they sit, and they stand, and they sit, and they stand. It's just not very, like when you see guys watching sports and watching events and stuff like that, that kind of atmosphere. <laughs> I think it's more manly, if that makes any sense. I
2: have, I have an idea what you mean. And I will say something to kind of uh, confirm what you were saying, that uh, I know that in America specifically, that there's been a, a lot more women in church than men. And a part of it is going back to something that you were talking about earlier with the emasculation of men. And at the same time, it is where the attractiveness of Jesus to strong men specifically yep. started to go away when people, because of the way that the messages were coming, how they came, what yes, they were talking exactly. about and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I remember, um, and, I, and it, I don't have the exact formula to this, why, uh, how, what kind of messages were being taught that caused men to not want to go. Or whatever, but um, there was some lack of strength being shown. And plus, when you think about it, you know, a lot of times when you saw, let's say, a person that was supposed to be ministering the gospel, um, those people were seen as at least not. Let me say it like this: the ones that would be in your local neighborhood or something like that, not the ones that you find on TV necessarily, but the ones you find in the neighborhood, especially among certain groups of people. They were seen as being uh, a joke, and it's kind of like I mm-hmm. said this on. Um, I said this on one of my previous podcasts about um, how there were shows that were out back in the '80s that were showing a weak type of Christian. I'm talking about, mm-hmm. amen, and then like it was another show I can't remember the name of, but they would show um, these people that supposed to be Christian, but they would seem so powerless, like they just seemed like they were just just like anybody else, just as powerless as anybody else, and then at the same time, it was like you're looking at um, they're supposed to be Christians, but their their example to the world wasn't a good one, you know what I'm saying, and so um, I feel like you know there was a there's a group of or a generation of men that started to not be interested in that kind of place because it didn't show strength. And then yet you'll look at something okay. like, I know that this is on a somewhat dealing with a certain um, ethnic group, but then you'll look at a certain um, organization like NOI, Nation of Islam, and mm-hmm. they show a strong image of a man yep, when you see exactly.
1: walking around
2: yep. doing the things that they do. And so then they started attracting a certain group yep. of people, a demographic of men. And ironically, a lot of those guys, yep. they came from jails, stuff like yep. that a lot of times. Exactly. Or whatever. And or they converted to that while they were in jail and stuff yep. like that. So
1: mm-hmm. it's like.
2: And you know what?
1: Yes. You were so perfectly on target.
2: Yeah, so it's just like um, Mm -hmm. there's a Mm -hmm. certain demographic and that's why, like, you know, even though I haven't been able to do it on a scale that I want to yet, but um, I've I've also uh, thought about, I mean, I do have it in my heart to do some type of mentoring program for young males because uh, I do realize that that's a necessity. Um, One of the things that I'm also looking at and the Lord, I believe, put this in my spirit, you know, a few months ago. It's concerning the foster care system. Awesome.
1: And um, Well, i with there to help you with that.
2: Well, that's what I was hoping. I wanted to talk to you more about that. Um, but, yeah, so without getting too deep on that yet, because I don't want to – I could talk to you about that offline, but as far as, like, that's in my heart to do because I feel like – one of the things that I, um, in the past, I used to do a lot when I would be ministering to somebody who was, um, you know, maybe on the street or something like that. When it came to the guys, I was always stressing how Jesus wasn't a punk. He wasn't weak, but you know. You and,
1: can't be a wimp and follow Jesus. You can't exactly.
2: do and, uh And I would try to, you know, show them the various things that showed how strong he was. And um, and so it was just kind of interesting the the reaction that. I would get from those guys that it would be so different from, you know, before, cause I you know, a lot of times they would be trying to tell me, you know, certain things about Christians mm-hmm. or whatever. And I would say, listen, man, you talking to a Christian right now. Do I look like that? Do I act like that?
1: You know what I'm saying? Like,
2: right. don't, don't right. try to put a Christian in a box. Like I'm obviously telling you about Jesus right now. And I'm not like that. Whatever you just said, I'm not anywhere near like that. So yeah, so basically it was like, I would just try to make sure I stressed the strength of Jesus to them. You know, I mm-hmm. felt like that's something that really needs to be stressed to men or males that are growing yeah. up. And, um, and I can tell you that, you know, several times when I spoke to some young men on the street, you know, that might've been drug dealers or whatever, when I spoke to them on a the level of a father with a son, that's what caused them to leave the streets.
1: I agree, and and you know what, strength I think is the best way to simplify what's missing um, yeah. that you pointed. And then also, my pastor had given a message one time too about how Christianity has become so wishy-washy, and there, you don't really stand for anything. So, like what you were talking about with that other group, how it's drawing a lot of men. And it's all walks of men, but it's typically men who are wanting something to belong to, something that they can focus on, something that's tangible. And our pastor was saying, Christianity is not even tangible anymore for so many people because these people believe you can do this. These people believe you can do that. If you go with that group, this is what we believe. This is what you're going to do. This is what's required for you. And so in the prisons and all of that, it's, it's it's strength. If there is something strong about that organization that's drawing these men, whereas Christianity, we have created it to be so wishy-washy that there's no substance to it. And so they're being directed to other other things. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, exactly.
2: I agree you know, with you.
1: Well, well, what does a Christian do? Well, you know, and thinking of Jesus is walking around with a big robe on just saying peace all the time. Well, you know, he's also the one that fastened the ropes and, you know, kicked out all the, the people at the church. And he's also mm-hmm. the one that at any moment could have called his angels and boom, been gone. But he went kept going for and us. He, and mean, he's what?
2: also the one that had a lot of his flesh and internal organs and stuff like that ripped to shreds yeah, uh-huh. before he even carried uh, 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 pretty much a tree for a, a whole right. mile mm-hmm. before he got crucified, and then hung on the hung on it for hours upon hours.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and I mean, you know, I mean like a that. man
1: that can do that today for people that he don't even know
2: exactly,
1: or <laughs> p- even people he loves. Yeah, you know. I so agree. I think the strength bringing the strength back, and I'll, I remember this one man it was right after I gotten saved and. We were just talking about hypothetical situations and sometimes I tend to get really deep on things. And his answer was, if people came looking for me at his house to kill me, he would not be able to lie because he was a Christian. So he would let them know where I was, but he would pray for my safety. I was like, are you serious? You are joking right now, right? He's like, no, you can't. You know, you can't ride as a Christian. And I remember at that moment going, "Okay, so the last person I'm going to run to if I'm tr- someone's trying to kill me is a Christian." Really? You won't even yeah. protect me? And he's like, "No, no." And you know, just like we had a situation in the service where um, in the military, and it's been a few years, but a young man was being raped, and one of our military guys jumped in and saved him. And so many of the Christian men were saying that he should have just prayed for that kid and oh not Oh my God, are you serious?
2: I'm, Praying
1: I'm serious. For him? Yes. And wow. you know, and That's I thought so crazy it is it is it is ludicrous. And I was like, um no, do you really think Jesus would be sitting there and watching that happen to someone? Heck no. No. Um, but that mentality, that weakness and that passivity has been what's with spread. So does that look, you know, I mean, who would want to be like that? Let yeah. me say, let me say
2: like this. I mean, God has had to, um, including myself, there's people that I know of right now that God has to, he's had to somewhat tame them, so to speak, <laughs> over the right, years because right. they're like, you know, they were ready for something to pop off, like, what? <laughs> like, um, and, and so the thing is,
1: like, <laughs>
2: you know, that was like something that they would just be happy about, you know, if they could be in a competition or something. Um, I, I, I have no identification with that weak stuff at all. Uh, I mean, good. you know, the thing about it is, you know, um, I see it no different as I don't see it any different from like if I was protecting or someone in my family, my blood family was being attacked or whatever. And I'm there. I'm not going to be praying for anything. I'm going no. to do what I can to hurt that person <laughs> that's Absolutely. trying to hurt my per- my people, you know, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no whole uh-huh. bar at that point.
1: Well, even as a female, I've had people, um, some some Christian people attacking me on my Facebook, I think it was last year, pretty bad, about um, me doing Krav Maga, which is Israeli military fighting. Yeah, I know about it. Israel,
2: yeah.
1: And yeah, and about for me doing that and me carrying a gun and stuff like that. And telling me that if I was a real Christian, then I would have enough faith that I wouldn't worry about that. And that if anything ever happened, I would just pray. And I was like, you know what? I've had my neck broken. I've been raped before. I've been slammed against the wall before. It's not going to happen again without a complete fight. I'm going to give it everything that I have. Because prayer is where you get the knowledge, the wisdom, and the discernment to do what God called you to do. And if it's someone trying to hurt me or somebody else, I'm going to protect myself and protect the kids. You know, like there's there's no question about that. that. Yeah, it's gotten distorted so much to where that looks like a bad thing, and it's like it's not a bad thing to protect yourself.
2: Exactly, because I had my daughter, my youngest daughter. She asked me the question, "Daddy, if um, someone tried to hit me or they hit me or whatever, tried to beat me up at school, or whatever, is it wrong for me to protect myself?" And I said, "Listen." You better go and protect yourself with all that's within you in that situation, because nobody's going to just be hitting on you for no reason. Right. No. And I, I told her, I said, you have every right to protect yourself. And if they say something different at the school, we they're gonna have a problem with me, because mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna stand there and let them tell me that you <laughs> were wrong for defending yourself when they weren't even around to protect you. So right. no, that's that's said You totally in the right to do that. And, you know, here's my thing, you know, when Jesus had the disciples around him, I mean, even though I know some people might say, well, you know, it was a situation where Jesus was probably trying to test Peter or whatever. But, you know, he told Peter to go get his sword. Now, apparently he's had it with him before, before this one particular incident. But the incident where he had it that we know about is when he cut off the ear of the person when right. to get him. Now, the thing is, is that obviously Peter's had that sword with him before, though.
1: Well, yeah, Jesus told him to get their swords before they left.
2: Exactly. So my point is this, that Jesus wasn't just walking around with no protection in that Mm-mm. sense. Nope. You know, people might think about it as he was just walking around carefree, not worried about anything <laughs> happening. But, you know, when you got throngs of people around you, you as right. one person in the flesh, you know, um, you can't fight against thousands of people, you know, without having a weapon, you know what I'm saying, right. or whatever. So I do believe that to some degree that God um, gave him wisdom to say, "Ah, right, you need some guys to be carrying weapons around you.
1: Yeah, you know, he, he told them, he said, sell your cloaks. If, he said, bring your swords. If you don't have one, sell your cloaks so you can get it. I mean, mm-hmm. and those were not used for, you know, cutting berries on a tree.
2: Exactly. So my thing is, and again, that goes back to the twisted idea that people have uh,
1: Christians
2: slash what uh, what Christianity is about and um, thinking that it's just all about we just come in peace and peace. <laughs> and we're not going to do anything to protect ourselves because we just believe in turning the other cheek. And I'm like, you know, I'll say it this way, you know, obviously the word of God tells us to live peaceably among men as much as as lies within us. It says live peaceably with all men. However, that does not say to not protect yourself. if someone right. Comes at you like I mean, if you think about it, like the Christians that are in places like China or yes. um, or in the Middle East or whatever, they have to go around number one cloaking the fact that they are Christian. Now Christians here in America would think that that means they're not proud to be a Christian and that they're ashamed of Jesus, but that has nothing to do with that. It has to do with wisdom and preserving your life so that you can continue to spread the word. But not only that. But, um, when you look at the fact that, um, there are places where, uh, like I know that there are certain ministers that go to the middle East and they'll go with armed guards everywhere they go. Yes. And the thing is, is that that's just the way you got to travel. If you're going to be over there, you go, you travel with people who have automatic weapons. <laughs> it's just the way it is because you just never know what could go down. And that to me is wisdom. And that's being, you know, just using wisdom to know that you got to protect yourself while you're in a situation where it could be hostile. So, um, that's the thing no. that. <laughs>
1: gonna no. Say. no, I was going to say, I agree with you totally. And, you know, and some people will be like, well, but if you just had the faith, okay, well then you get to go speak to one person, you get killed and then you can't share anymore. Did you really do what you were supposed to do? Yeah. And with Peter, That story is one of my favorite because what God showed me, it's in one of the devotion books that I read, but it talks about all good things are not God things. And when he says, you know, get behind me, Satan, and all of that, he had to go to the cross in order to save us. So in that case, it wasn't a good thing, but it seems like a good thing because Peter's trying to protect Jesus, right? But the truth is, the enemy didn't want him to go to the cross because then he was going to resurrect and then his spirit comes and lives inside all believers. So even though it looked like a good thing, it wasn't a God thing.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, where Christians have to learn how to balance when God tells you to kill Isaac and then he tells you don't kill Isaac.
1: Right. (laughs) You know what
2: I'm saying? Like you got to be listening all the time for him to speak so you know exactly what to do because you don't listen completely and all the time that you could make a bad mis- mistake.
1: Oh, absolutely. And have you ever read the poem, um, sing a little louder? No, I've shared a lot. Heard okay. Well, it's talking about that back in the Holocaust and, um, it's a really, it's a, it's a very powerful poem. Can I say it real quick or is it?
2: You can say it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let me see. Um, hold up. Because it really, really just hits. So hard, and this one, and people like compare it to abortion, um, but it's called the passenger actually. And it said, "I found myself in danger. I cried out in despair. I prayed, Lord, let them hear me. Let them hear just one person care. I raised my voice to heaven, but the train kept moving on. As we passed behind the church house, I could hear their worship songs. I cried out all the louder to the Christians there inside." But they raised their chorus louder, not hearing me outside. I knew they heard the whistle and the clacking of the track. They know that I was going to die, and still they turned their backs. I said, Father in heaven, how can your people be so very hard of hearing the cry, one like me? I shouted, please have mercy, just a prayer before I die. But they sang a little longer and louder to the Holy One on high. They raised their hands up high to the heaven but blood was dripping down the blood of all the innocent their voices were trying to drown they have devotions daily and they function in my name and they never even realized it was me upon the train
2: wow.
1: and to me I see that happening here I see it happening there and you have all these people in church you've got all these people going to the Holocaust which we all know they're going to be killed and be tortured and the church you know, didn't think that they could do anything or they were strong enough to make a difference. So we're just going to praise God a little bit louder. We're just going to sing a little bit louder. We're going to pray while this is happening. What would have happened if every church would have burst outside and jumped on those trains and overtaken the people doing that? Hmm, Yeah. How many lives could have been saved? And... Again, that's where the strength, you know, God, God, when he's saying turn the other cheek, like I can, when you were saying turn the other cheek, I could visualize one of my kids. And if Tamika hears this, then, you know, she'll be laughing at me tonight. But if she was having a really rough day or something happened and she slapped me in the face, I could see me looking at her and going, all right, you want to hit the other side too? Okay, what you got? What's going on with you? Okay, that is a different thing than someone coming up and attacking me. If someone comes up and attacks me, I'm going to fight. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. I mean, you're not... You, are, you not, want my jacket
1: not, here? Take my shoes. Just go. You know,
2: here's the thing, too. I mean, even when we looked at Jesus, um, when he was about to be uh, crucified, and he was talking to Pilate and all of them, and he made a statement. He said, even now, if I wanted to, I could call down 10,000 yep. leaders of angels. But the only reason why I'm not going to do that, number one, is because my kingdom is not of this world, because if it was, then my service would fight for me. But he was Mm -hmm. basically also saying, Mm -hmm. but it is appointed for me to go to the cross. Right. So that's the only reason. I mean, in all honesty, I think that in so many words, Jesus was saying, you know, had this been in a different situation and this not been my time, you wouldn't have me in custody. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying like I think that he was pulling a boss move right there he was like yo let me check you real quick if you don't understand who you're talking to let me just break it down because if I wanted to I could be out of here <laughs> and just call 10,000 legions of angels and it's over but the reason why I'm letting you talk to me like this is because I know where I'm going I know the purpose so, right. you know, but I think that was a gangster move right there. That he just Oh, told. that
1: is as gangster as you can get. And like, even when he was on the cross, and I remember when I first got saved, the part that drove me crazy was when he yelled at, out, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I kept going to all these pastors and every single pastor said, Barbara, because he was 100% human. And that was his human side that was crying out because he couldn't understand what was happening to him. And it just would not settle with me because he's just been telling his buddies that he came to die. He was just telling them, you can't go where I'm going. You know, he was telling them about that he was going to die and he was going to resurrect. And so how are you going to tell me that he just suddenly, you know, he's Jesus Christ, but he doesn't know what's happening. That doesn't even make sense. And then I heard this message on the radio, and I can remember where I was at the time because I pulled over because it was just like, that's it. Back then, people used to, like, I'll tell the kids, if I come in and say, row, 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 they'll say so gently down the stream. We wish you a Merry Christmas, you know, anything because you know what's coming next. Well, back then, they had the entire Bible memorized. So all somebody had to do was say a portion of the, of a verse and they would know immediately what comes up, comes next. Well, when he says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? That's the beginning of Psalm 22. And if you go and read it, he is declaring who he is, what's going to happen, what they're going to do to him. What's, I mean, everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. So in a way that was another gangster move because that's why I believe when all those guys at the bottom and they're like, oh, surely that was the Son of God. What have we done? Right? Yeah. It's because that was the most gangster move he could have possibly done. He just let them know right before he gave up his spirit that, boom, hey. This, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is who I am. Do you realize what you just did? And if you go back and you study Psalm 22, it goes into complete detail, even about the different guards surrounding him and the different beatings um, mm-hmm. that he received. I mean, well, not I one of his bones, bones being broken and all yeah. that. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. And, I mean, that was, to me, that was another gangster move. It's like, hey, you think you got me up here all helpless? <laughs> let, me you, let me just let you know who I am and what you just did. hmm
2: I like that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> wow. So, Barbara, um, as far as where you see your ministry um, going next, like, is there, like, are there some things that are in the works right now? Do you have a vision for the future?
1: You know, um, yes and no, um, trying to just keep doing what God wants us to do. And and I think the, the main thing that we do the best is that we are a consistent family to people who don't have families, you know, um, if one of our kids is having a hard time, they don't have to go through a whole bunch of loops and back backends and lifts and do all kinds of things to get help. They can send a text and say, hey, Ms. Barber, can you please send me a pizza or some food or something? I don't have any. Or, hey, I got a flat tire and they can be in another city. Well, I've known them. They're like my kid. Well, of course. I had one kid that needed help and he's like, I'm so sorry, Ms. Barbara." I'm like, in five years, you've asked for $100. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm going to help you, you know? Um, so it's having that relationship with them and keeping up with them. So if something comes up, they do have a family member to go back on because everybody needs help sometimes. You know, we do Christmas, um, for about 2,500 people. We, um, do all that family style. We build the gingerbread houses. We have contests. We share the gospel. They get presents. One of the things that we give all the kids in the shelters are really nice duffel bags that they can be proud of because, unfortunately, a lot of these kids, when they go from place to place, they're having all their stuff thrown into a charge bag. Well, that's just reconfirming to them that you're really not valuable, nor is your stuff here going to the next place. Right. So we get them really nice duffel bags and fill those with gifts so that when they move to the next place, they can do it with integrity and they don't have to be embarrassed walking down the street or wherever they're at with their bags because it's a nice bag. Um We do all the regular holidays and events like taking them out to eat, teaching them how to eat sushi. You know how many of these kids are – were gangster in their minds, but now they love sushi with chopsticks, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, it's fun. And just exposing them to different things and taking them to different areas of town and, you know, teaching them how to order their food. Or, you know, I had somebody one time going, do you really need to take them to an expensive restaurant? Why can't you just, you know, take them to Luby's? And I'm like, well, we do that too. But I want them to see what how they can actually live one day that they can go to nice restaurants, that Mm. they can make a really good living and take care of their family and take their dates to nice places. I don't want them thinking that jack-in-the-box is all there is, you know? Yeah. Um, And exposing to new things. Now, I do know I would love to have an emergency shelter that is different than um, what most people typically have. And you hit on this earlier, too, talking about the mentorship. And the reason I say that is because so many of the people who I give some of our kids to, once they turn 18 to mentor, so many of the people mentoring give up so quickly because they don't feel like the person really wants to be mentored. They don't feel that they're very serious. I can't tell you how many men have called and said, hey, bro, this kid really doesn't want to do this. This kid doesn't want to do that. You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, when I was in Florida last or two years ago with my friends, I wanted to go get a coffee one day. So I went and walked about three blocks by myself. It was hot. I had to go to the bathroom like 10 times. I stopped in stores. Everyone lets me in, you know, went there, got my coffee, was walking back. I was dehydrated. Cause all I had was coffee. I was kind of busy. I got in the house and my friends were like, come on Barbara, let's go to the beach. And I was, You know, I said, you know, I I don't feel good right now. i got to lay down. i got to, you know, kind of get my brain functioning again and cool down. Well, God used that small thing to show me, okay, you walk to a coffee shop and back. Your brain's not working. You can't think. You can't function. Now, look at all these people living on the streets. You really expect to take them off the streets after they've been out there for days, weeks, months, years, come into a place, fill out an application, then act like they're all gung-ho and want to get help? Wow. What do you have to do? You have to cool down. You have to get some water in you. You got to get some food in you. You need to lay down for a little bit. Then you can function and you aren't even outside a whole day. Mm. And so what I would want would be more of a place that someone's like when they want to get off the street. Okay, they can come here. They got a nice bed to sleep in. First, nice shower, bed, food, some clothes, and let them, you know, come back to being a normal human and not be in survival mode for whether it's 3 days or a couple of weeks and then help them get into one of those placements that we have so many of. And I believe that that's why we have so many people turned around from all turned away from all these placements because everyone's saying, well they're not ready, they don't really want to make a change. Well they they're not able to want to make a change yet. They're in survival mode. They they can't. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, it definitely makes sense. I mean.
1: So that's what I want is one of those. Yeah. Because I think that that would be, you know, especially for a lot of our kids and the transition. So then they can actually realize that they want help. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's amazing how much different you feel when you get inside air conditioned and you have a full stomach.
2: Oh, definitely. <laughs> I can attest
1: And like, that. Ashley, did you follow my story with Ashley, my girl that's blind?
2: No, I haven't followed that story.
1: Okay, well, I met her when she was 12, and she had been on the streets already for a year. When she ran away, this man took her in, and a woman, and introduced her to crack cocaine and tempted her out the first night. When I met her, she had already been doing crack and prostituting for a year, and her and I hit it off, love her to pieces. We just got really close, Then um, she ended up going back to some family members a couple years later. We lost touch throughout the years. I would try to look for her, but I could never find her. And she was actually the background of my website for years because that's how much she had touched my heart. And then one day at church, our pastor was saying, you know, I want everyone to pray for God to give you a burden. Um, Not someone that you're thinking of, but for God to do it. And so once he does come down to the altar and we're going to pray over you. Well, God didn't tell me anything. So I'm one of the people standing up there like, okay, God's not talking to me at all. Awkward. And I went home. And then that night, all of a sudden, I couldn't stop thinking about Ashley. And so I start looking her up again, looking her up again, realized I had been spelling her name incorrectly, Um, Mm -hmm. found a bunch of pictures, started sending them to a lady that worked at the shelter that she used to be at years ago and finally realized it was her so i made a collage of all these pictures of her i put it on facebook and this woman who i don't even have any friends in common with or know sent me a message and says i know her i used to work the streets with her at this apartment complex in austin and yeah and i was like oh my gosh so you know jump in the car And after about two days, I started hitting the streets of Austin, so I got to meet all the drug dealers there, all the prostitutes there, everybody there. Everybody there has my card and my phone number. (laughs)
2: Literally, (laughs)
1: everybody. Some funny people call me and go, can I give your number to someone? I'm like, everybody has this number. It's okay. Mm. Well, kept trying to find her, kept trying to find her. No luck. And this was probably over about eight or nine months span, just looking and looking. Then one night, this guy, Patrick, who's you know, one of the local drug dealers. I mean, it's so weird. You'd be at this one store, and you just stand out there, and you watch the prostitutes. They'll come out there. They just stand in the parking lot. Guys pull up. They get in the car. They go do their stuff. Drug dealers, same thing. They get in. They go do the drugs and drop them off. It's right in the open, and everybody sees it. And nobody does anything about it. It's the most bizarre wow. thing I've ever witnessed in my life.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: and um, Patrick calls me one night He's like, Hey, did you find her? I'm like, dude, he knew I had to come home. Are you just calling, you know, to give me a hard time? What's up? He's like, well, today's your lucky day. She's right here. And so I hear him tell Ashley, well, she starts yelling and cussing and, you know, being irate. And she gets on the phone. And when she hears it to me, I'm like, it's Miss Barbara. She's like, oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, she went from this really mean person to, oh, I remember the anointing oil. Oh, and the stuffed animal you gave me. Oh, and when you took me to church. And I'm like, do you want to come home? Do you want to get off the streets? And she said no. Wow. And when she said that, that's when this all started hitting. I'm like, you know what? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Can I come see you? And she's like, yes, yes, come. You know, I want to go to church. I want to see you and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, um, That's where I learned, too. Sometimes they're not ready to leave. So what do you do? You go to them where they are. And unfortunately, um, by the time I got there, she had gotten arrested. But that was one of the cool things, too, is when I was driving around Austin, I pulled over or my friend pulled over. There was some policemen on their bicycles, And I said, hey, can you help me find someone? And he said, who are you looking for? And I said her first name. He looked at me and said her last name and said, I was just talking about her when you pulled up. What are the chances of that? Okay. <laughs> There's no way you cannot tell me it's a God thing. Yeah. Well, anyway, long story short, finally found her. She had gotten so bad on drugs that she lost her eye. There's no eye. It's an empty socket and continued to do drugs. She's completely blind in the one eye that she does have. Um, just, I mean, as horrible as you can be. Then she went to jail. Then she went to prison. Um, but I got to walk through all of this stuff with her. And then now we just celebrated her being sober last month for a year. Wow. She just turned 24 years old. Um, I had her come speak to my girls at the gala in February for all the girls in foster care. And she's doing fabulous. Uh, we even prayed for, against like diseases and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And came out completely clean, which is a miracle yeah. because, I'm, I mean, just, I yeah. can
2: imagine,
1: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> So she was doing heroin, crack, and meth for all of those years. And a lot of people still don't understand that being sober right now, what an enormous accomplishment this is because... That's not what she's used to. It's scary and hard to be sober if you've been messed up your whole life. Yeah. And, you know, some of the, you know, my Christian friends would be like, oh, so she's all on fire for Jesus and she's doing this. And I'm like, well, not yet, but she's alive, you know. And they can't for the life of them understand that because they're like, but I would be what I would be. And I'm like, you don't know what you would be. <laughs> the fact that she yeah. wants to live is a miracle. I thank God every day that she actually wants to wake up every day. She didn't want to live before. She is actually liking herself and loving life. And, you know, of course, is thankful to God and all that, but it's just not what some people think that she should be doing, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the fact that she even wants to live right now is a miracle that I'm forever grateful for. And so that's, you know, another thing with B2B is, A lot of organizations or a lot of ministries, and everybody has their own calling, so it's whatever God shows you, but a lot of people, it's kind of conditional in certain ways, and whereas we are just going to stay consistent, no matter what they do, we're going to stay consistent and walk through it with them for them, and it's not always pretty. It's usually not pretty, okay? The galas look really pretty, but they're really messy in between, underneath, and during.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine.
1: Well, so anytime you see a post, whenever I say my little mustard seed, that's what I'm talking about. It's her, and you know I call her my miracle. She's she is she is literally a miracle.
2: Wow. Well, you got some powerful stories that you've been sharing with us uh, today, and um, before we go. I know that everybody else has your number, so you might as well give out your information on there. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: oh, man. So
2: tell people how they can, you know, uh, get in touch with you, um, maybe even partner with you or, or things like that, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. If you just, have any you know, kind of social be, media stuff like Instagram yeah. or whatever. So go ahead. Yes, um, and we do
1: the the – foster care and the juveniles and all of that. But then we also have apartment complexes. We have like seven apartment complexes through Houston that typically a lot of people are afraid to go to, which is kind of silly because people are just people, but we're always needing people for that. Like working with the foster care, of course, you have to have a clean background. You can't have any kind of assault charges. You can't have any of that because they're in protective custody, which is a good thing. Um, However, as you know, a lot of people make mistakes. And if you've made mistakes and you've been redeemed, then, of course, we want to find somewhere for you to help, and that's where we can do that in the apartment complexes. Does that, you know, is that clear? Yeah.
2: yeah. That's outreach is really there. Yeah. Yes.
1: And so it's a Back to Basics Ministry uh, with a Y. If you do ministries, it's a different organization. And we do have a Facebook, Back to Basics, and an Instagram. But I'll be honest, those are run by volunteers, and so they're not always as up-to-date. Um, mine Barbara Alpha is the one that I keep up with and I keep it pretty busy. Mm-hmm. And Instagram is Barb Alpha and it's eight three two eight nine two zero eight five eight. And right mm-hmm. now we are needing tons of suits and I always say sharp dress suits. We don't want suits that nobody would wear. We want suits that are nice like for these teen boys because they want to look sharp and some of our little guys too. So we're collecting suits and ties and tennis shoes, or not tennis shoes, dress shoes, and stuff like that for the dinner.
2: Well, that sounds wonderful, Barbara. Thank you again for being on the show. It was a pleasure speaking to you, and um, you have a powerful testimony and and a great ministry as well. And um, I know that God's going to do some wonderful things in the future through it as well as what he's already done, but even more so. So I just uh, thank God for you. And uh, well, for and I thank God
1: for you and all those men that you're going to be mentoring. Um, and that's a big impact. And the one thing that I can encourage you with and anybody with is never be distracted by the size of your audience, because even if it's one or two people still do the same thing for them as if it was three or 400, because every single person matters. And I think that a lot of times in ministry, we forget that. Like we justified and I went and did an outreach. We literally had six people there, but we didn't hold back. I mean, we did it just as if we had a hundred people there. And, um, when you start realizing that it's about each individual person, it makes that easier.
2: All right. Sounds good, Barbara. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for those that have joined us today. Um, follow us on Instagram at new numa p-n-e-u p-n-e-u-m-a also like us on facebook and if you want to give us any suggestions uh comments or you know tell us some people that you would like to have interviewed you can email us at new dot dot at gmail.com and um we would love to hear from you Uh, Also, anytime that if you want to follow me on my personal account, that'll be Norm the Professor N-O-R-M-T-H-E-P-R-O-S-E-S-S-O-R Have a great day
0: Most people know we are living in what are called the last days But most people do not know that the last days have been here since the time when the first apostles were alive Jesus said that in the last days false prophets would arise and show great signs and wonders to the point that, if possible, they shall deceive the very elect. This tells me that we must be on guard and know what we are up against. If Jesus made this a priority to speak on that subject, it must be very important for us to know what our enemy is up to, and that is why I wrote my book. My name is Norman Brown, and I am the author of Among the Wolves. The reason I wrote this book is because I was one of those people who was very close to a false prophet, and I witnessed firsthand the dealings of a false prophet for seven years of my life. After seven years of going through this stage of my walk with Christ, the Lord finally revealed to me what it was that was happening right under my nose. And it was on that day, that I started down a road of recovery from hurt, betrayal, bitterness, anger at God, and unforgiveness toward the man whom I once called my spiritual father. Many people are dealing with the same church hurt that I went through, and it is tearing lives apart because many have discovered that their walk was wrapped up in a man and not in God. And now they're going through a process of healing from that pain they endured, from the abuse of their trust, their heart to serve, and desire to expand the reach of God's kingdom. If you have experienced this type of hurt, if you have witnessed deception in the church, on TV, on YouTube, on podcast, or on radio, and see how it affects people, then this is a book that you should read. To get your free copy of my book, simply subscribe to the new NUMA Godcast email list by emailing new.numa.podcast at gmail.com. Email us today for your free copy. God bless.